Just enjoy these first few minutes of settling in as everyone arrives. You might notice something in your environment which is nourishing. Something inspiring, something comforting, uh, something curious. Just as you sit in silence, uh, all of us sit in silence together. I'm watching the early morning sky here in Molokai, the substantial trade winds blowing. It's time for us to begin more, more formally. I'm so uh, pleased each week when people show up and we get to spend some uh, precious time together. Um, let's begin with uh, a few minutes of sitting to actually settle in a very intentional way, not just uh, waiting uh, for something to begin, or not casually, um, but an, an upright, alert, relaxed awareness, uh, which opens our heart and our minds uh, to what's to come. So we'll sit in silence for uh, about five minutes, uh, enjoy the bell, and at the end, for those of you who are familiar with our regular sequence, we will recite the uh, verse of the robe three times. Um, as a way to initiate uh, the, the teachings and our time together. If you don't know it, um, we'll let you make sure you know how to, how to get a copy, but just listen, it's, it's quite easy to learn also. just simply sitting.
there's no particular technique required because there's no goal to set in front of you. A goal that you could reach and be successful or one that you could not reach and fail. This is outside of success and failure. It's simply sitting and returning home. What we discover when we return home to our body and our breath, the quality of our heart and mind, to the whole environment in which we sit, sometimes that return brings with it things we would wish to be otherwise. But our sitting isn't an attempt to change all of that, but to become intimate with every bit of it, to not lean in or be submerged or drowned, but not pull back and dissociate or run away, but to simply touch and meet with some kindness and some tenderness so we might know when we step back into life how to respond in a way that's caring and appropriate. So all that from just sitting with energy and with effort but as Zen Master Dogen said, effort without desire. Our simple sitting has an immense and unexpected power in it. Nothing magical or mystical really, but very practical. And this simplicity we're training and have been training for this time of distance and containment, of being steady and quiet, sometimes isolated or solitary, but without having practiced these things on a regular basis, 
we see the pain and difficulty and reactivity all around us. How difficult it is to be still and silent and contained in the face of everything. And those of you who have sat even a brief retreat, let alone longer ones, know that the restlessness and tumultuousness and difficulties and pleasures that come from being so contained for so long, like we've all been lately, is sometimes not an easy ride. And we see the difficulty and the pain of those who don't have this kind of experience, and that's not a judgment or a feeling of superiority. It's a tender, compassionate view of just how hard it is for most folks and why it's important. And a, and a kind of an inner deep power to have a willingness and ability to be still and silent but not passive and retreating, to be upright and energized, attentive, awake, willing and ready to live your life, even when it can't go like you want it. So we engage in this beautiful practice, which looks like doing nothing, which makes everything possible. And if you listen to the words as I chant them and chant along with me, if you know them, uh, we'll go three times so you'll really let it settle in, the verse of the robe. And attend to the way the words reflect um, in some ways exactly what I've been speaking about. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction, wearing the universal teaching I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. As we step off of our cushion or off of the chair into the world from our time of meditation or sitting, 
uh, we meet each other just like we will in a bit after I speak and you'll have a chance to raise your hand. And if you're not familiar with that process, you can see the little hands at the bottom, uh, which you can do to uh, uh, step in line. Uh, it's always such a strange thing for me to think of people. It's like taking a number <laughs> at the supermarket back when you could go to the supermarket and back when you could take a number and stand in line. Um, but I love seeing uh, people raise their hand and come online. There's a name for this kind of meeting, a special kind of meeting, um, not just an inquiry or in the old Indian um, terminology, satsang. But there is a, a, an ancient word from the Buddhist time called Kalyana Mita, which some of you may know. It's the term that was used for spiritual friendship not just the everyday um, casual friendships, which are necessary and ordinary, and that kind of joyful uh, everyday friendship is part of spiritual friendship, but there's something else. Uh, and I wanted to speak about that today in the midst of uh, what we're all engaged in as nerves are frayed and people uh, are afraid when there's so much uncertainty and unpredictability about the future, uh, it appears that so many people are being immensely friendly and caring and kind and generous to each other. And there are those who out of their own suffering and difficulty are being not quite so friendly and, and difficult and challenging. And there are so many reasons for that. That's, that's not ours too to delve into at the moment, but know that spiritual friendship, the friendship that offers ourselves to another in our deepest sense and calls forward the deepest part of our friend is the container in which these difficult times can move uh, more, uh, more gently. There's another term which is um, not often talked about and I want to thank Peg for emphasizing it in her um, reflection this week. Uh, you may have seen it. And she uh, was inspired um, by another um, Dharma teacher in his talks uh, about this. And the word is anukampa. It's a word that in the Buddhist um, teachings has traditionally in English been translated as compassion, but it isn't really compassion in the same way that the word karuna, which so many people know uh, from the Buddhist terminology as compassion. Uh, compassion is a special kind of, of caring in the um, situation of suffering of another, but anukampa is broader, it's deeper, it's more essential a kind of orientation to the world and to oneself and to each other of care. It's, it seems to be an echo of our word apamata, which also has a flavor of care. And, and hopefully we will get uh, some clarification about those terms since uh, neither I nor Peg are really scholars of these ancient languages, but we'll see what we can find uh, about that. So I wanted to talk about this kind of spiritual friendship, this kind of care, anukampa, 
that is so essential right now. No matter what I could uh, imagine to speak about today, this seems to be so crucial, especially as we begin what we call right now op opening up a little bit in certain places um, and turn back toward each other a little bit more and how the lifelines that have been made and begin to be restored among people who love each other deeply, who care about each other profoundly, uh, are so important. And I would like to reflect on it in a way that, um, well, in, in some ways that are not explicitly Buddhist at all, um, and may use some words that might have um, leftover components for some people from their religious background, uh, the words like soul or spirit, um, which don't don't have exactly an analog in in Buddhism, but I'm I'm going to tie them together, I think. But altogether, it's quite warm. Um, just a curious note: <clears throat> my maternal uh, side of the family, my great 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 grandfather, was a stowaway on a ship from Ireland during the potato famine, another time of not exactly pandemic, but of a terrible, terrible time. And he came, he landed in the Carolinas and um, moved through the South into, uh, down into Louisiana and ultimately to Texas. Changed the spelling of his name, hopefully so they couldn't find him, but kept his name, Callahan, last name Callahan. Um, and that was my grandmother's maiden name. So there's these Irish roots that come through. Uh, today, actually, just a personal side note, if you'll indulge me, is Aaron's birthday. My partner, E-R-I-N, Ireland. And although most of his relatives were from Wales, just across the Irish Sea, they still resonate with a kind of Celtic background. And I feel blessed, um, not many people that, with whom you were able to celebrate their 21st birthday and then also their 60th. It's a, a great blessing for us. So in terms of this uh, Irish uh, Celtic background, I want to um, mine a little bit of the wisdom of the late uh, John O'Donohue uh, and also uh, an American uh, mystic in, in this case, Thoreau. This is um, a few words from John O'Donohue from his uh, seminal work, Anamkara, which speaks to um, this deep kind of friendship. These are his words. If you realize how vital to your whole spirit and being and character and mind and health, you realize how vital friendship actually is. You'll take time for it. But for so many of us, we have to be in trouble before we remember what's essential. It's one of the lonelinesses of humans that you, hold, that you hold on desperately to things that make you miserable and you only realize 
what you have when you're almost about to lose it. If you realize how vital to your whole being, and he lists all these beautiful characteristics, friendship actually is, you'll take time for it. And this is, I think, one of the things that we have in, um, it's the most scarce in our kind of culture is time. It shifted a bit during this time uh, because we slowed down. But in general, the people who come to me often will speak about a time being their greatest and most cherished commodity. And he says, but for many of us, we have to be in trouble before we remember what's essential. And goodness, we're certainly in trouble now. Although, you know, I've been uh, a psychotherapist for so many years in the past in which people came to me because they suddenly find themselves in trouble in some way, either troubled internally or their relationships in their world. And suddenly they take a turn that they wouldn't have taken otherwise because of that trouble. And one of the ways he says, one of the lonelinesses of human beings, he talks about it, one of the ways that we, we keep ourselves separate is that we hold on to things that uh, are difficult for us. The self-centered dream we'll chant later desperately and we end up miserable until we realize really what we have until we're almost about to lose it and isn't this so much of what we've experienced lately we've lost so much so many so much what we called freedom which we have some sense of entitlement to some sense of expectation almost demand for and we realize it was a gift. And now we have to deal with this, something different. And doing that with others is what's crucial. And you may have beautiful friends, people that you love, that you can't touch or be with. There are many stories of that. I don't have to tell you those. I speak every week. Peg and I have a conference every week to keep close and keep in touch. And one of the things that is... Um, painful to my heart is to know how isolated in some way she is there in that beautiful little Appamata compound uh, where she's used to a flow and a flux of people every single day pretty much uh, and what may seem like a burden and an extraordinary kind of life that she's immersed herself in um, actually is also full of goodness and, and care and those morning walks are really salvic in, in some ways and we each have our, our challenges in this way. In his essays and lectures, um, Henry David Thoreau, in a particular essay, which he titled The Two Pillars of Friendship, said there, there are two primary pillars, truth and tenderness. These are his words, and I will um, ask his forgiveness when I'm reading it, because all of his pronouns were masculine. And I, I want to open it up a little bit because it's too odd to read only he's everywhere. But in his writing, he said, there are two elements that go to the composition of friendship, each so sovereign that I can delete, detect, excuse me, detect no superiority in either, no reason why either should be first named. One is truth. A friend is a person with whom I may be sincere. 
And he goes on to talk much more about these qualities and what it's like when other people show up and we begin to put on the face of adapt adaptation and uh, begin to hide in some ways. So truth, telling the truth, being honest, being a person of integrity, I guess, in that way, is so crucial to being a friend. And we all know this, what it's like to someone that you can actually tell the truth to and be your truth and receive the truth from someone else. Later in the essay, he names the second. The other element of friendship is tenderness. We are holden to another by every sort of tie, by blood, by pride, by fear, by hope, by lucre, by lust, by hate, by admiration, by every circumstance and badge and trifle. But we can scarce believe that so much character can subsist in another as to draw us by love. Can another be so blessed and we so pure that we can offer this other tenderness? When a person becomes dear to me, I have touched the goal, G-O-A-L, the goal of fortune. So in this um, language, which seems out of date to us in some way, he names something that is extremely close, tenderness. And he says we're, of course, connected to people by a million different ways, some wholesome, some not so wholesome. But can, we can scarce believe that so much character can subsist in another as to draw us by love that thread at the center of it all. Can another be so blessed and we so clear and present that we can offer tenderness? And I, I really, really appreciate that word tenderness, like care and anakampa, not some vaulted idea of love or any sentimentality or romanticism or noble kind of spiritual character, but simple tenderness. When a person becomes dear to me, I've touched the goal of fortune. Whatever fortune you might, the ultimate goal is this kind of care, this kind of love, this kind of tenderness. And as I read this, um, the two pillars of friendship, truth and tenderness, I couldn't help but think of these two pillars in Buddhism of wisdom and compassion. Truth the clarity of what the way things actually move in the world and tenderness, the kindness and openness of heart. And one small bit more from Anamkara from John O'Donoghue. And I, I'm, I would like to read this um, little paragraph because it expresses so much of the qualities. You, you'll hear it. I'll make a few comments, but you'll hear the qualities of what it's like to sit with someone or have tea with someone uh, with whom we're, we're, uh, we practice or just enjoy our ordinary life. You'll hear the echoes of what um, our beautiful head students and our sanghas uh, offer us in their anokampa, their spiritual friendship. You'll hear what it's like 
for those of us who have been students and those of us who take the role of a teacher, independent of the role, the dance of, of tenderness and truth that Thoreau was talking about, and all the different aspects of community that move in a Sangha. Here's John O'Donohue again. Anamkara, he's speaking of, it originally referred to someone to whom you confessed, revealing the hidden intimacies of your life. With the Anamkara, you could share your innermost self, your mind and your heart. This friendship was an act of recognition and belonging. When you had an Anamkara, your friendship cut across all conventions, morality and category. You were joined in an ancient and eternal way. The Celtic understanding did not set limitations of space or time on the soul. There's no cage for the soul. The soul is a divine light that flows into you and into your other. This art of belonging awakened and fostered a deep and special companionship. The first part of this piece, uh, when I read it, made me think of our inquiry time. Someone to whom you confessed, which sounds a bit loaded for some of us, especially if you had a Catholic background or, or some background in which you were supposed to feel like you're a sinner. But we have our confession and repentance and uh, in our lineage, which has to do with just telling the truth of who we are, being willing to accept, um, turn toward, be intimate with, and reveal the truth of ourselves so we can, we can work with it, we can practice with it. Someone to whom you can confess, revealing the hidden intimacies of your life, like one does sometimes in inquiry. The Anamkara, the, the friend in this way, you could share your innermost self, your mind, and your heart. This friendship was an act of recognition and belonging. All of that seems like an aspect of what we do here. And when he uses the word soul, if that's disturbing to you, um, it may not be the same. It's, it's not necessary that you have some idea of an essential thing called the soul. Think of, uh, read it as Buddha nature for a moment and, and see if that uh, rings true. This understanding did not set limitations of space and time on one's nature, one's true nature. There's no cage for Buddha nature. There's no bound. One's Buddha nature is this light that flows into you and into the other. The Buddha said, make of yourself this light. So just one last piece. In this love, then he uses a different word, love. You are understood as you are without mask or pretension. The superficial and functional lies and half-truths of social acquaintances fall away. You can be as you really are. This kind of love allows understanding to dawn and understanding is precious. Where you're understood, you're at home. All of that sounds so much like what I feel happens when we come together like this. When we're understood, we're home. This understanding is precious. It allows understanding to dawn. 
functional lies and half-truths, I love those words, of social acquaintance fall away. And we can see who you really are. He says, when you feel, really feel understood, you feel free to release yourself into the trust and shelter of the other person. The art of love discloses the special and sacred identity of that other person. And it's only in this light that you can truly read the secret signature of each other's individuality. Love alone is literate in the world of origin. Love alone is literate in the world of origin. It can decipher identity and destiny. I think of that as shining the light on our deepest truth of who we are and what we're made for in this world as we take our place in it. And finally, he said, a friend is a loved one who awakens your life in order to free the wild possibilities within you. I don't think he means chaotic or strange. A friend is a loved one who awakens in your life, who helps you wake up. Here's the Bodhisattva vow, waking the other up to free the wild, the untamed, the creative, the most fundamental source of energy and vitality within each of you. And then he finishes with the honesty and clarity of true friendship, brings out the real contour of your spirit who you really are. We can see that when we meet like this. And Anakampa, that word used over and over and over by the Buddha, much more than the word Karuna, which is translated as compassion, but Anakampa, care, is something we cultivate. Excuse me, it's not something we cultivate. It's not some quality that we cultivate. It's who we really are. When everything else falls away, Buddha nature, is who we are. When everything else is in abeyance, that light shines forth. When every um, part in us, let's say in IFS terms, unblends, softens, burdens are lifted, polarities are softened, what comes forth is true self. There are many ways to think about it or say it. So these are things that are not unusual to you. There are things that you know in some ways, but it was most powerfully on my mind right now and on my heart. As we've been moving through this time, as things began to open and change, and we're faced with these difficult decisions about how to be with each other, um, but to remember the essential nature of our practice, which isn't some esoteric uh, thing to change our consciousness, but is a very grounded and embodied and cellular way of connecting so that life has meaning. And so life has possibility. And it has depth and texture and contour and color and vibrance. So in that spirit, um, please raise your hands so that we can spend some time um, connecting in this, this very way that we've been talking about. I, I welcome you uh, to do so. Remembering that each time you offer yourself in this way with some, um, some willingness to take away the facade and open and reveal yourself in a way that's in the service of your awakening, that that's a gift that each person uh, will receive 
all 83 of them online right now. Oh, Clayton would show up when I quote Thoreau, right? Thank you. I'm so happy. Um, not only is it Aaron's birthday, but you, you wove Thoreau and John O'Donohue into it. So I just, I really just want to say thank you for that. Um, I felt like you really wove it together so masterfully that I, I, I had to take notes because um, there's so much I wanted to remember. Um, but I, I think I'm feeling right now the energy of friendship in ways it feels stronger, even though we're separated. Um, and I, I, I was, but my question is, I'm busier than I've ever been, Flint, because I'm trying to raise, like, school my kids, and I'm thinking about all that's going on um, with them and how to keep them happy, and then I still have deadlines, and I feel jealous um, of people who are able to use this time to really go deep into their practice and into cultivating the friendships now that everything else has fallen away. And um, I, I don't have time to drop as deeply into this. It's more of a, I feel frenetic and like I'm just trying to keep my kids um, happy a lot. And I feel a little anxious and um, jealous about some of my friends who aren't having to work at all or mm. people who don't have kids at home. So I, I, I'm, one of the things I mentioned that time was such a um, scarce commodity is it looks like we have more, but I'm busier too, because there's so many details one has to deal with, especially online nowadays that happened in ordinary life, which didn't happen. But my, my, the turn that I'd like to ask you to uh, attempt is if you let yourself move toward the jealousy, what's the seed of freedom that's the other side of jealousy? Well, I'm grateful for them. I'm sorry, I'm very distracted by looking at my own face right now. I, I'm, I'm having a little. Yeah, welcome to my world, boy. This is, I have to look at my <laughs> Um, me, I want to prompt you because uh, there is, uh, I don't want to make it a guessing game, but I wanted to ask the question. Um, if you're jealous, there's something that you see that you want. And it can turn into a contracted sense of scarcity or resentment, and it can go down a road that is not quite so wholesome. It's, it's ugly. Right, but the thing that, that, but it's what it's calling forward is something that you actually long for. And then that can, if that you take that further down the other road, there's an aspiration. And what's the aspiration that's the other side of the jealousy? Well, connection. Like, I, I want to be, um, I want to be able to drop into this and be connected with my friends as we go through something go through this together. And you know that because of your situation, you're not always able to do that. 
Oh, yes. But even if you hold the aspiration, you feel the love that starts to flow, the care. You might feel the grief about its loss, but that's another aspect of love. It certainly may propel you to have those small moments when you do connect. And the other thing I was just thinking of, I remember when I first spent time in a monastery and I had these ideas about what it would be like. You'd have all this time. You'd be free. You're not at work. You can meditate. You can be with your friends. You can be quiet. And it was the busiest work-driven place I've ever been in my life. Uh, in a way, what we're experiencing is what it's like to be in a monastery. You're contained, and there's so much to take care of constantly that someone asked Suzuki Roshi one time, he said, what do you do with your time off? You know, and he said, time off? <laughs> and so I'm, I'm not trying to say, oh, you should feel happy about your over-busyness. That's not the point. But to practice means take the feeling of discomfort, take the upset and the difficulty, and find the thread that can at least turn you in a wholesome direction while you have to work your butt off to <laughs> keep it going. And hopefully that will, will open for you a little bit. Thank you. And I do, I do feel, I know that it's kind of ugly to waste time being envious of others. Um, I think it's only ugly if you actually believe it and base your life on it. And we see people who do that. Yes. And you know what? It's ugly. Do that. <laughs> it, it's ugly when I, like, when I, if I get up at five in the morning to work for three hours before the kids wake up. And then one of the things you said that I wrote down is this is not a judgment or a feeling of superiority of, over others who don't have this wonderful community. And I was realizing that is how I feel when I'm up at early in the morning working before while all, all the world still, well, I imagine that they're still sleeping. And that's an ugly feeling to feel that sense of like superiority because I'm working my ass off during a quarantine. Well, don't actually add the uh, additional element of inferiority and call yourself ugly. The feeling's a little ugly though. Yeah, yeah. And so change it to wholesome or unwholesome. Is this in service of my practice? Of my, and remember the aspiration. The aspiration is for goodness, un, even under the jealousy and the envy is an aspiration for a connection, for love, for care. So if you keep turning it back, not pushing away the jealousy, but as it comes up, let that be the, the portal to offer yourself a, a possibility to hold it at the same time. Um, thank you, Flint. And I, um, I hope you and Aaron are going to do something lovely for your, his birthday today. Well, well, we'll have an enjoyable time, I'm sure. He doesn't want me to make a fuss, but what are you going to do? Well, please tell him happy birthday from all of us. Thank you. Thank you. One of the things that Clayton is bringing up, uh, I'll say while the next person is taking their seat, is that um, really, uh, no matter what kind of difficulty or struggle or contraction maybe you feel in yourself, if you meet it fully and in a wholesome manner, you'll find the jewel in there. You'll find the... You find the the Buddha nature is always there. So, hi, Martha. Hi, Flint. Thank you for being here today and all the beautiful Dharma talk you have provided and thoughts you've provided. Um, 
this has been a rich day for me. Yes. It's our all days. Some of them I recognize more easily than others. Generally, the days that are troubled waters are the richest and most valuable. Hey. So this morning um, at um, Zazen, uh, Peg offered us great tenderness, great witness. I'm really grateful that you and she speak together weekly because that was my first thought. At a certain level of priesthood or how it's referred, it, it's kind of isolated all the time. Mm -hmm. And so it was, you know, so that's, that's a great grace. Now we, we get to practice this quality of Anakampa, of Kalyanamita, of all these things. Yeah, y'all not only practice it, you reflect it beautifully. For what that, I'm also grateful. But we're holding on for dear life. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I remember one time Norman Fisher saying, and this holding on is what actually makes life dear. I was the, um, some Native American group said, Hoka, hey, hold on. Hold on. It's always that, that um, times like this that are such pivotal moments of transformation. Not that all moments aren't pivotal moments of transformation, but some of them just appear more pivotal. And I guess that's this. So, so we started, so that started, you know, kind of, ah, for me the day. Mm -hmm. And then... Okay. What's your question or your concern for the day? My concern for the day. Well, is how to sustain and maintain uh, at some level. I had a conversation with my daughter. She's very analytical and she's also an artist. But this analytical part keeps wanting to have the deep conversation, which our, our ways of being in the world are simply different. Mm -hmm. And so we never actually seem to have that conversation. Mm -hmm. But there's still the invitation. So I guess I'm looking how to support that. How to support that conversation? How to support developing that conversation. How to oh. support opening to that conversation. One of the things it that does I... not like tenderness. Yeah. One thing I would suggest is that you, for a while, relinquish the idea of having a conversation. It actually may not come through conversation. You've tried a lot of conversations. And so far, you have good evidence that that's not the road. <laughs> Amen. A lot of evidence. Yeah. So you might have to be more creative. <laughs> and instead of putting the energy into inviting, making happen, finding what for the conversation, open space and just be curious about her. It's um, the line, which I know you've heard before, but my primary mentor for most of my adult life, uh, John Gladfelter, I asked him once late in his life before he died, was there some philosophy that he had that was underneath all of his work? He was a psychotherapist, that's how he trained me. And he said, yeah. And it's like, really, what is it? He said, expect nothing, appreciate everything. So it's, yeah. I think it's probably the hardest thing in the world for a parent to expect nothing. Well, it's hard when your child expects something. 
That's right. Not able to deliver. That's right. And so you can be humble and you can um, say, you know, forgive me for being limited and continue, uh, yeah. continue to be interested in her. Oh, let, absolutely. Let her come forward like she wants to come forward without any demand that it be a certain way. Uh, and it may not be always in conversation. It may be some action you share or at some point uh, a way that you just are together. Some people mm -hmm. don't come together this way. Right. But parallel play works pretty good, you know. Uh, well, she's in, she is in Austria. She will not be returning to the United States. Yeah. So it's a, it's a sort of a moving through the platforms that are... Uh, you have a really great con, don't you, about how to make this one work. And... <laughs> Like all practice, you have to give up all f hope or fruition and be appreciative of every little thing that happens. And what you pay attention to is what you get more of. If there are things that she does that are lovely and that you enjoy, pay attention to it, encourage it, and you'll get more of it. If you pay attention to what doesn't work, and you'll get more of that. So those are the helpful household hints for the day. <laughs> And they're just, you know, they're so rooted in so great antiquity and That's practicality. Yeah. And in your own practice, just send her loving kindness. Have that conversation with your heart, even though she may not have it with her ears and her mouth. Thanks, Martha. Thank you. It's always surprising how many things are uh, available. But first, we have to let go of the strategies that we're committed to. Hello, Betty, how are you? Good, good. So I just want to thank you all so much that you're doing this on an ongoing basis because that whole aspect of, of the spiritual friendship is part of why when I started going through the stuff around the COVID-19 stuff and so on, I upped my connections that I was able to get. Before that, I was mainly listening to your recordings of old stuff, right? But I'm living in, I'm living in, in uh, Canada now. I was going to ask where you were. Yes, I'm in Vancouver. Vancouver, oh, beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I, th I think that several things that have been touched on today, um, Made it, made it so I felt like bringing something that I would like to have a conversation with the spiritual friend. Um, mm -hmm. and, and part of that has to do with bumping into something that I have recognized before. I found a, a good balance for a while, and yet it keeps coming back at me in a way that I know I haven't fully addressed it in a way that finds ease inside myself. Mm -hmm. um, I've I've been living in Vancouver now for close to a year where I swore I would never live in an urban environment again mm. because I know how vital to me my connection with the earth is and I now between my health issues and uh, the COVID restraints um, have difficulty even getting to a place where there's a tree that's big enough to really notice that it's a tree and here I am in the land of big trees. Yeah, and you're one of the most beautiful places in North America. <laughs> exactly. And I can't get there. Mm -hmm. but that's, 
you know, and it's, it's like, um, I, I'm hugely appreciative of so many of the things that are in place. That's why I'm here now in terms of my health supports and other things. But I just have a longing that just keeps getting deep. I, I planted a bunch of seeds and so on in, in containers. And that took care of me for about three weeks mm -hmm. where I was able to set aside the other part and experience the part that I love about, about growing things or growing with things yeah. uh, and, and, and so on. And yet it's come back at me and, and, and so on. And so I find myself trying to, you know, make all of these possible plans that I could make of a way to get to the ocean or get to the mm -hmm. forest. Yeah, and those things might be possible. But, you know, the thing I hear most, uh, you're, you're telling me the particularities of your situation and the story, but at the heart of it, really what you're just uh, expressing, and I can see it and hear it, is grief. Certainly. As you're just feeling grief. And there may not be a ready solution to that grief. You may not be able to go right away. Maybe you can. Maybe there are ways to arrange it. But there's no way to sort of like make it okay. Like you can't get to those giant trees. You can't get to the ocean. You can't get to those verdant, uh, lush green forests with moss everywhere. You can't see the eagles right now. Maybe at your window you might be able to, but. I saw one recently. <laughs> so even though you can't literally physically solve it at the moment, there are two things you have at your disposal. One is the tenderness of your grief because that's an expression of your love for the earth. And then that points to the second, which is your imagination. And I don't mean just making stuff up. The actual imaginative quality of your mind, you can go anywhere. And when you do, you can feel the joy and the beauty and the love because in your imagination, it's perfect. <laughs> you don't even have to deal with mosquitoes or anything. <laughs> we don't but have what to. We'll <laughs> right, but, but you'll have a companion on the trail, which will be the grief. But if you can let the imagination and the joy and the grief walk together, it will be different than just feeling the, the deadening and the desiccation of it all in your heart. So if you let those walk together. Thank you. The way that you phrased that right then, part of what happened for me when you were talking about the the, the quality of my heart in experiencing that or which way it could go one way or the other in some ways though reminded me of one of the things that I do love about the forest here especially which is that in, in a rainforest like situation you can't miss the life and death it is so That's right. so absolutely there Mm -hmm. And so the the trees, of course, that were either, you know, partially milled or, or you know, uh, and, and, and so on, the, the dead trees become the very, very nurse of right. the life that's to come. That's and right. so I, I felt that right in my heart when you said that. So I just would really like to thank you for that. Absolutely. Thank you. And, and it's wonderful to see you, Becky. I'm glad that you stepped forward so we can see you and send our love to you. We might have time for one more.
Hi. Hello. You touched on a few wonderful things that I wanted to just reflect on with you for a minute. Mm -hmm. One is um, something that Clayton mentioned, which is the busyness piece. I feel some of that busyness as well. And part of that, um, I brought that kind of into, it was brought to my awareness when I took the writing workshop with um, Judy and Robin. Mm -hmm. And I was able to see that that business, busyness was really just a cover up for avoiding something that was super tender right underneath. Yeah, that's a, I'm really good at that one. <laughs> me too. So it's been interesting for me to just kind of check in, like, is this really necessary for me to stack on right now? Mm -hmm. Or am I just avoiding something? Yeah, so much busyness of mind, so much busyness of heart. It's all line from a poem. Yeah. And I loved in the, you know, really in the crucible of that tender, compassionate holding that Robin and Judy were able to offer. It was like right there, mm -hmm. you know, and so wonderful to just let it be expressed. Yeah, they became uh, the kind of friends that call that forward, like I was speaking about. Absolutely. Yeah. And I was, I, I was just very, very grateful for that. Yeah. And then the, the other thing I wanted to mention is, um, you know, we, we lost Cazzo Cabelli this week. Do you know about Cabelli, the Cabelli family and Moya and Cazzo who used to be, he went by James at one point and went by Letzia at one point. Um, he died, he drowned. There was, a, there was a drowning accident. And it's really touched me to see reflections that people have posted on Facebook about him and the friendship that they had with him mm -hmm. and just over tea and talking about life together and meandering ways. And he had this brilliant mind and, you know, it's just so inspiring to be reminded that those connections that we forage and foster even in this situation and especially in this pandemic situation is just so crucial. And mm -hmm. you touched on the um, really not taking things for granted that, that that was a teaching way early on in the pandemic that it's really, really easy to take for granted that you can go to the grocery store and get an avocado if you want one or you can take for granted that you can't get on a plane. I mean, it, it can be from the smallest little minute thing to the most grandiose thing. Mm -hmm. But I'm really, really aware right now that resting in the pause and making sure that I am being grateful for really not taking as, taking as little for granted as possible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No pressure. Right. It is, well, it's easy to just notice all that we've lost and we forget to be grateful for what we have. It's just natural, but to be reminded is helpful. Yeah. And we need to remind each other. And that's actually part of the friendship is just remember, remember. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and reaching out and just making sure that I'm staying in conversation with others who may need to be kind of drawn out, mm -hmm. you know, and cared for. Right. So I appreciate you bringing all of that forward. Thank you. I appreciate your long steady friendship yes thank you Flint. Mm -hmm. this is a silly little side note but uh, because of our friendship you chased me down in cape cod and spent a week 
uh, the Institute with me. And I just wanted to say that, you know, last year was the 40th anniversary of that Institute. Mm. And they asked if I come back and teach and I did, it was lovely. And then um, um, the fellow who started it uh, died, he was old and he, he died. And the son took it over, but it's, um, it's gone now. Oh. It won't happen again. It's the COVID did it in. Oh sort of. no, that's terrible news. Kind of a, a little bit of a loss or so. Yes. Well, maybe there's another way for you to get to the Cape instead. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not doing so badly on my little island here, but. Right. Yeah. Um, I know I remember of, uh, of a time when we enjoyed ourselves in that way. Absolutely. Thank you, Flanders. And I think we'll have to probably end for the day. Uh, hopefully there are other people who will come forward. Uh, and please, please join us again next week if you, you'd like. Um, we'll do our chant and Jessica will have a few more things. And feel free to invite uh, people to come online. It's a good way to uh, include your friends in things that um, then you'll have some conversation and some way of caring for each other. Uh, hopefully these things are accessible and useful to, to many, many people, not just the, the Appomattox community. Uh, so we'll remind ourselves of the four practice principles. Chant with me if you know it, caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Your practice assignment for the week is to remember the dearest of your friends alive or not living and hold them in your heart and in your practice. Express it to people who are alive or those who aren't, but express it, let it be alive. And Jessica, you want to come in? Thank you so much, Flint. And thank you everyone for sharing your time today. Taking us to Apamata's website really quickly and just sharing my screen here, um, just to remind us all that at Apamata the space and time are freely offered so that anyone can come and be nourished by these teachings. So like Flint said, if you have friends or neighbors that could benefit from these teachings, please feel free to invite them um, by the connections with the teachers and the Sangha and by the practice. Um, and at the same time, all of these programs and, and our teachers are maintained by and depend on your generosity. So thank you for all that you all are doing um, to, to care for the Sangha in all the ways that you do. Um, please feel free to make a monetary contribution here at the apamata.org slash contribute website um, and continue, continue to contribute here on inquiry and um, through our online programs. Thank you so much.